Hello and welcome to the Draw Loser Draw Annual 2022-23. This is the first of our three-part series reviewing last season, where we'll look back at the most memorable moments and the best bits of the podcast over the last 12 months. Thistle started their season in the League Cup with a group featuring Kilmarnock, Montrose, Fraserburgh and Stenhouse Muir. The League Cup wasn't the only competition that Thistle fans were keeping their eye on though that month. Matt, your letters. Hi Rachel. Hi Matt. Uh, constant please. Thank you. Start with P. And constant. T. And a third. And another. C. Uh, vowel, please. O. Consonant. T. Vowel. I. Consonant, please. G. And another. F. Consonant. T. And a vowel, please. O. And a final consonant, please. A final F. Time starts now. Three apiece. Well, that is emphatic. He also falls into Zach Hemming. Just gives him a little word of warning. Experience Brian Graham, exactly what you want. Fraser Murray, a goal scorer up in Fraserburgh from a free kick on the weekend. Young midfielder is next for Kelly. Oh dear! Oh no! Oh, that is slapstick. Thistle's league campaign would begin with a memorable win at Dens Park. Bannigan, Bannigan then onto McKinnon. McKinnon putting a cross into the middle. Brian Graham attacks it but can't win the header. Doherty trying to head it to Fitzpatrick. Fitzpatrick then poking it out to Harry Milne. Milne played it into Fitzpatrick again. Fitzpatrick onto his right foot. Then Barrigan back to Fitzpatrick. Right foot shot. Deflects into the net. And Thistle have their first goal of the season. Going to Dens Park and laying down a, a huge marker against the so-called title favourites. It just felt absolutely amazing, man. We're so full of optimism right now. And the, just the football was an absolute joy to watch at the weekend. And the Dundee fire alarm and the subsequent tears were, were no bad either. I just, in a nutshell, I thought Fitzy and Lawless, they both ran the show. It was su- it's such a pleasure now having that, these creative options at our disposal. Kevin Holt has actually set his own standards so high that you almost don't realise how many crucial blocks he makes every game. And he, and he continues to make, you've seen that at the weekend, and, and to make matters even better, he was apparently getting it right up the Dundee fans at full time, and they were fuming. So aye, it, was a, it was a really good day. In football terms and shithousery terms. There's Williamson trying to control the ball up against Holt, but McMillan comes across and helps his defensive partner out, then plays it long. Sweeney lets it bounce and just took a risk and it falls straight to Lawless at the edge of the box. Left-footed low shot, into the bottom corner and Thistle lead 2-0. What a start this is for the Jags. It's great to see a good away turnout as well, despite the ridiculous prices from Dundee and getting on the supporters' bus and seeing it. The one the album was absolutely completely full, which was fantastic to see the football play not the full-time whistle just how stressful the last five minutes were. Lawless lays it into Fitzpatrick Side. Fitzpatrick to Graham no offside flag side. yet to back post from McKinnon gets his header in no offside flag at all and Cole McKinnon makes it 
What a way to start the second half. We, how many times have we seen like Thistle games where I can point to, I don't know, numerous Rangers or Celtic games, the Aberdeen quarterfinal, the, the, the Morton games last season, all these where you're dead up for it and there's something in front of you and like it's, it's attainable within your grasp. I know saying that the old firm is, is a bit silly, but you know what I mean? Like Games where fans are going into it, just absolutely pumping, desperate for a win and we just don't do anything and we just totally flounder under the circumstances. And it was absolutely just really lovely to see us get the bit between our teeth and absolutely take it to our team on the first day I'm so used to it just being rubbish on on the first day that we we absolutely bossed them for you know at least the first half hour when we were like two 0 up and you're absolutely just they're just strolling about the park and Dundee were rotten and then like when the third one went in you could see how much it meant to them we always talk about Graham celebrating like he's won the Champions League whenever he scores but everyone was like that and you just saw that. We joked about, you know, the tickets being misprinted and all that. You know, I was saying stick it in the dressing room wall and we'll scud them and all that. And, like, it genuinely feels like they did that because the players have all talked about sort of the wee things that kind of were, were getting under their skin. I mean, Kel Turner mentioned the tickets in his interview before. Brian Graham's brought it up. You could see that everybody was just absolutely up for it and they played like they were up for it and put in a performance and it was just absolutely brilliant to see. With an unbeaten start to the season... Rhys Haldane was feeling the heat. And you know what I will say just before we go any further, right? Remember our podcast years and years ago we were talking about superstitions? And I'll say that I always wear, whatever I'm wearing to a game, if we win, I'll keep wearing that. And I'm counting the Kilmarnock games I win. So this whole season, every Saturday, I've had to wear the same outfit. And you know what the weather's been like this season? It's been roasting and I'm having to wear a full black outfit. (laughs) See if I need to go to full season wearing a full, uh, a black hoodie. And like trousers, then I will happily do it. <laughs> you know it's bad at Steny when I turned to race and I went, fuck's sake, you're overdoing it a wee bit, aren't you? <laughs> Me, <laughs> who's never worn a short sleeve <laughs> in his life, is like, fuck, you must be fucking Wait, violent. Do you, know, do you know what I actually done? I tell a lie. See, for the phase of the game, I got a bit gallus and I knew that we'd win that because it was a heat wave on and I wore shorts. But that's how I off. Well, I'll allow it for, for health and safety reasons. The visit of Hamilton to Furhill so a half-time educational street theatre performance raising awareness of infectious diseases in Africa. Somehow though, this was not the maddest thing that we saw that day. We'll talk about um, the big talking point, I suppose. The Hamilton goal. David, I know you weren't really planning on going to Hill until you, you saw that there'd be some, some street performance <laughs> at half-time and then, then we, we couldn't take, take it away from that. You're a huge fan of clown shoes football. Talk us through your thoughts. I know it's sort of split opinion. Was it a mistake? Was it a freak? Should Mitchell be dropped? Should he not? Sum up your thoughts on the, the incident and more. I, I mean, when it happens, it just it's just like seeing your entire Thistle fanhood flash in front of your eyes. Just like, fucks it. We just never escape this nonsense. And... For for most of the game, I'm not going to lie, I was pretty raging at Mitchell and very critical of him because I was like, you, you fucking idiot, how did you do this? But re- looking back on it and with a sort of, the you know, having slept on it and stuff like that, it's a one in a million goal. Like, it's, he, he, he didn't make, like, there is no way he could have, if you had tell, told him to do that, there's no chance in the world he would have ever been able to do that. It's a complete freak accident. But, you do have to look at it of 
Why was he so far out? Why you'll never see a goal like it again? But he did not cover himself in glory in terms of trying to react to it and stuff like that. Um, it's it's definitely up there on our. We did the ten worst goals we conceded last year at Halloween. It's it's riding right into that charts. Uh, it's got to be up there. Graham will put pressure on O'Reilly as he goes back to his goalkeeper, and then Fulton with his left foot puts a good kick forward. McMillan flicks it on and runs through to Mitchell. Mitchell kicks it and it deflects off of his own man, and it's going to be an own goal off of Jack McMillan out of absolutely nothing. Thistle are going to be going into this half-time break trailing it looks like that is bizarre goals to lose I don't think I've ever seen something like that happen before there's a saying in golf I know I keep bringing it back to golf but there's a saying in golf the better you are the luckier you are and I've never heard anyone say like the, the reverse of that but I think it's sort of true for this so like the the worse you are or the more mistakes you make the unluckier you will get so I think it was a bad decision first of all for Mitchell to come out and then I think it's a really bad kick and obviously, it's a freak that hits McMillan and bounces in. But he sort of deserved how unlucky it was just because two such bad decisions, or one bad decision and one bad execution. <laughs> if it didn't hit McMillan, it might have dropped an Aki's player with an empty net. I don't think it was great um, for Mitchell, to be honest. And it's, it just happens to be it's brutal that this comes off the back of us talking about Mitchell's distribution and his footwork last week. As David's mentioned, that it's it, the own goal was a disaster. It's one of the things I just hate in football. If we get if we get done by a comical own goal, and as David's said, when you watch it back, like Hamilton didn't trouble us at all. It was a freak own goal. It's, he's actually leathered at thirty five yards, and it's hit McMillan in the stomach, and it's like it's generally one in a million. You can try that another million times, and it, it doesn't it doesn't come off. I just find it so frustrating because, like I was saying in the chat earlier, I feel we just have way too many of these recently last season I was saying I can think of three off the top of my head Harry Stone having a free home goal this it was just a huge error up at our both when he passed the ball straight to Nicky Lowe was it I can't remember who it was and then um, there was the one with Snedden up at Inverness when he sprints at the ball it bounces over him he misjudges it they end up scoring then there was the other one when Snedden's punted it off I think it was David Moyle for Hamilton and then they've scored in that awful game of Hill. And obviously now another one yesterday. It's just to feel like we're never, never rid of these comical goals. If you think, but even back a few years ago, I think we conceded a ridiculous one against Morton. I think Scott Tiffany, I think who scored that, where Elliot and Sned ran into each other, and then Tiffany like scored from like forty yards or something. And honestly, we've just you can go back over the last few years. We're always conceding these ridiculous goals, and I swear we never score any of these kind of ones. We just always concede them, and it's time to cut them out. It's so frustrating to watch. Just. I feel it's just one of those things that irritates you the most as a fan is when you can see an avoidable goal, especially ridiculous avoidable goals. It's just it's infuriating. Yeah, it's just stupid things though, because like see when you think back to the Sneddon one at Inverness, it just comes off his line for no reason. And the one yesterday, let it bounce another two yards and pick it up with your hands. Like there was there's just no danger there. And we just were they were the architects our own downfall. Still undefeated, Thistle headed to Queen's Park. Well, Larbert full of hubris, but they would be brought back down to earth very quickly. From Neil Fraser, he's asked, is it too early for the the percentage chance of winning the league question? No, it's not. Um, He is currently at 97%. He's given Thistle a 97% chance of winning the league. Uh, David, any advance on 97%? 
It doesn't matter if we are 21 points clear or in ninth. I am 66% confident that we will win the, the championship. It, it is the rule. No matter how confident I am, the answer is 66%. Lawless turns away from Bannon. Left footed cross. Trap back at Brian Graham. Header straight at oh. the goalkeeper. <laughs> you cannot ask that question on match day one. But see the thing is, Everybody I've spoke to since Saturday, I've been telling them how we're going to win the league. And I'm so confident. 70% confident. Match day one, I'm happy with 70% we're going to win the league. Here is Thomas. Plays it short. Murray on to Savory. Great play, and that's the opening goal. Queen's Park have it. A well-worked free kick. I'd have probably said 50% before the Dundee game, but go on, David. I'll join you in 66. This is wild, man. Boating. Lovely ball through the lines. Tommy Robson drills it across and finds the back of the net. 2-1 to Queen's Park. Just as Thistle had got back in this game, Queen's Park go back in front and it's the former Jag who gets the goal. I'll need to bring this back down. I'll, I'll be the sensible one, but I'll still say 50. I give us a 50% chance of winning the league. Davidson then flicked back towards goal and Murray pokes in. That's 3-1. Thistle not dealing with that well at all. I love how positive you guys were last week about the fact we're going to win the league. Is that positivity still there? Um, David's not here, so probably not. <laughs> <laughs> in August, ownership of the club changed in controversial circumstances, with the PTFC Trust now having a 74% stake in the club. Essentially, the best way to describe the... Um, PTFC trust situation with ex-chairman Jackie Lowe was open to the idea of selling the club to the fans, which is fine, which is what Colin Weir wanted. I get that. But it soon transpired that she wasn't very popular and then decided to try and hand off the club to a select few. A bit like when you open a tin of Quality Street on Christmas Day and you pick out all the strawberry and orange chocolate creams. I just thought it was sad, really. You've completely lost sight of what you're doing when you're the custodian of a football club. And I think it's a very, to be fair, I think it's a very easy thing to do. What's that, the Lord Acton quote? Power tends to corrupt, absolute power corrupts absolutely. It's very easy to get taken away by eh, when, you're, when you're in charge and the rush of power that you've got. Like, it was, it, it was in with good intentions. There was loads of feel good around it, considering what Colin Weir had contributed to the club. I just think the whole Jackie Lowe thing was just it was just sad. Despite the shenanigans off the pitch, Thistle were able to deliver the goods on it, defeating Inverness 4-1 at Firhill. It was almost a complete performance, like as as I said, it was almost a perfect start inside twenty seconds. It was great for Tiffany as well. He beat his man the first time of asking and McKinnon should be burying that and to be fair to him, that's probably the only sort of negative you can have about his performance on Friday. Like he's absolutely fantastic player. He makes lung busting runs in the first minute, same way he does it four 0 up. And it's just an amazing mentality to see from such a young player. You know, Banzo and Cole McKinnon, they were sort of interchanging and making the forward runs into space, running the channel, and that was allowing Lawless the option to cut inside and, and feed them through balls, which ended up leading to the first goal as well as the award of the penalty. So it was some really nice intricate football on the night. Like we mentioned, Austin Samuels last week causing bother with his pace, but he couldn't get going at all. The amount of last-ditch tackles that were timed to perfection from Milne was incredible, and he topped it all off with that absolute rocket of a cross, which is just asking to be put away. 
But that being said, it was some diving header from Anton Dowds. It's just a work of art. I could watch that over and over again. I just want to talk about the midfield, uh, Reese. I'm keen to get your take on it because you mentioned uh, Doc and Banzo earlier. I was thinking about their sort of midfield relationship at the game, and I was thinking it's a bit like a marriage. So right at the start of the relationship, when Doc came in and they were playing in a midfield too, things were going great, exciting early stages of a relationship and then maybe in the last six months or so in the midfield too it's begun to get a bit stale folk are, are questioning will it last and then they've introduced a third party into the relationship Cole McKinnon has come in and spiced things right up and Bannigan and Docker I thought looked right back to their best on on Friday night it was a shame Docker had to go off but the way they were sort of dovetailing the way they were pressing together and they seemed to be sort of swapping positions between like the deep line play uh, the deep line midfielder and and an eight and pressing high up the pitch. I was really impressed with how the midfield worked. And it's something we have spoken about how who's going to be the man to drop out. And Kyle Turner was unlucky. And I don't think we dipped when Kyle Turner came on in the second half, but I thought the, the midfield three in the first half especially was was tremendous. Reese Jenkins, how do you see the sort of midfield shaping up for the rest of the season if we stick with this four three three that we're we're playing with at the moment. Just what you're thinking, I just wanted to ask, Matt. Everything all right with you and Kirsty? Um, and you need to speak about it after, <laughs> no, after I'm, I'm good. No, no, I'm good, man. <laughs> Things are good at home, David. Things are good. Yeah, McKinnon, I think, is is a been a brilliant a brilliant loan. He just looks so kind of well rounded, and he doesn't really seem to have any major weaknesses, which for a player of that age is pretty rare. Technical, kind of technically very good. He got an absolute engine on him, which I noticed more more than ever the other day. On Friday night, um, he just seemed to be running like he was in the 30th minute and the 90th minute running at the same intensity. The squad's an absolute joke, and I've honestly never in my lifetime seen a better party official substitute bench. Like the talent is busting at the seams, and you even look beyond that. Like the guys that are injured at the moment, you've got Adam Muirhead and Cammy Smith, who played almost every minute last season. I know he's not everyone's cup of tea, but it's just another option we have. But when I look at the other teams in the division, including Dundee, I don't think they match us in terms of options. And of course, it's early days, but you've got to think both as fans and the club internally, we must be expecting to have a right good go at winning the division. I mean, we've already beaten both our expected title challengers in quite emphatic fashion, you know, going to Dundee, scoring three goals and then sticking four past an Inverness side that they hadn't lost by more than one goal the whole of last season. So we just need to find that level of consistency and I think we'll be in for a cracker. I really enjoyed the performance, obviously, we all did, but it was the most typical Thistle thing ever that we've had, let's be honest, a strange week um, as a club. Well, I think everybody went in thinking this is going to be an absolute bin fire of a game and it's going to get real toxic if we go 1-0 down. And then suddenly pull out one of the best performances I've seen in many years is we absolutely scud and run and for like 90 minutes, everyone forgot what was going on. I mean, it, it says a lot about the... I mean, to be honest, it says a lot about the team that that sort of off-the-pitch stuff. Obviously, you, you wonder how much that translates to a team. How much are they aware of it? Because, uh, you know, in your own job, there'll be things that happen in your work that you don't really bother with. It's above your pay grade or whatever. But to kind of be able to block all that out and go out and just absolutely run wild is is fantastic and I think we may be the only team in the world ever to win 4-1 and be cheered off the pitch with chance of sacking the board A few weeks later the Jags travelled to Abroath breaking a hoodoo which had lasted for 21 years My favourite game this year has been our Abroath away when we broke the hoodoo 
we, I mean, they've been our bogey team for so long. We, we, you know, we just were always really pessimistic against our Broflow going up. We never really fancied our chances. And obviously, as we've waxed Liverpool before, our Broflow one of the best away days in Scotland. Um, and yeah, I, we just had a, a great day out. And it was for me. It's this year's been really, really big for me because, like, over the last year or so, obviously getting through the pod, through the pod, and you know, going to the Wood Day and away games and stuff like that, I've met a lot of people. And basically, through my entire twenties, my, my entire social life was going to metal gigs, and all my friends were there. You'd have a great laugh and everything. And as the years have went by, um, you know, people have had wanes, people have moved, people have died, you know, some, all over. So like. You don't really see my—I don't really see my social circle from my twenties anymore. Um, only in bits and bobs here and there because I don't go to as many gigs anymore. But Thistle over the last two years has replaced that social circle where it's all your pals every week. You go, you see them, you say hello. They're always there, and it's lovely just being surrounded all all your pals. And that was that that uh, our broth away day was the moment I realised. Well, this is the social circle of my thirties. This is this is my life now. These are all the people that. It's the, the the closest I felt to being like twenty twenty one again, um, was at our broth. Just we all your pals. You've had a couple of drinks, had a shot in the dance mat, good fish supper, and it was just a great day. And just beating them, and just like when the second goal went in, it was absolute pandemonium, and it was just everyone going mad and everyone just being so delighted that it was it was one of the best experiences I've had as a Fisher fan. I certainly say, as an away day outside of the Hamilton six one, it's probably the best away game I've been to um, and I absolutely loved it and yeah it was just a great game all round but um, just the, the fans there and obviously the pots and pans and nuts and bolts and tools and fancy goods chants and everything and yeah I just I just loved Dubrov so much I think that was just my my away day of the year and just general moment of the year. Pots and pans and nuts and bolts and tools and fancy goods this will return to for Herald to take on relegation battlers Cove Rangers, orchestrating a bombastic collapse. I thought we should have been 4 nothing up after 20 minutes. We could quite comfortably score 6 goals. It's Harry Milne getting his first touch of the game, heads it forward towards Brian Graham. Lovely flick on from Graham and Tiffany away from Logan. Low shot, well saved by Gurley. Wallace then looking behind for McMillan's running, he might just find him, he does find him. Trap play across for Tiffany, it's going to be cleared straight to Brian Graham on his right foot, scuffs it, and then Tiffany can't force it in. Out to Wallace. Wallace takes the shot with the left foot, what a goal, Stephen Lawless! Just opened up for him a bit, he saw that top corner, and it was asking to be shot at. Meanwhile, a couple of goals, Inverness have taken the lead at Dundee. Wallace with the cross, Barrigan brings it down, hits it with the right foot and finds a way to the net! Gurley couldn't keep that one out, and Stuart Barrigan, it's a birthday goal for the birthday boy! Here comes the delivery, floated in, Muirhead gets something to it, breaks for Reynolds, Reynolds shot deflects in and suddenly we could be in for a nervy last ten minutes. Yeah, that's a, that's a really unfortunate goal. And it's flicked towards goal, falls to Reynolds again, and he scores again on the half volley. Unbelievable few minutes for Cove. 
And from 2-0 up and cruising, it's 2-2. Thistle's fortunes would get worse, failing at the first hurdle in the Challenge Cup away at Falkirk, although they would make amends the week later with a five-star performance against Morton at Furhill. Like, I love this. Like, it, it, listen, I love when we beat Morton. It's, uh, I've got I've got a few pals that are Morton fans. I love to have a wee bit of back and forth. <laughs> this Morton game was really funny because, like, they scored. They, they took the lead with, like, one of the best goals I've seen at Firhill. We, we know Robbie Muirhead. Robbie Muirhead doesn't score a bad goal. He, the guy is allergic to tappings. Like, and he, like, he bends this 35-yard free kick out of the top corner. And then he goes over and does the Conor McGregor walk to the Jackie Husband stands. Like, oh, here we go. This is going to be a laugh. Because you've got all the things you get. Like, Thistle fans don't like Dougie Emery. Thistle fans don't like Robbie Muirhead. Thistle fans generally just don't like Morton. There's a, there's, there's, it's not... I mean, it's a rivalry or a derby, but there's 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 a lot of needle. And I think, like, yeah. that's... I love that in football. Like, that's what you need. Like, you, want it, you want it to be a wee bit spicy. Like, both clubs are aware. Like, they're not their local rival, but... It's it's got that competitive edge that like because like, I think I think the thing that keeps it going is because like a lot of young Thistle and young Morton fans now like they grew up with the the twelve thirteen season like they're, they when they were young so they don't like they've grown up to not like Morton and Morton fans like uh Thistle blah 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 so like you've got a lot of like Morton fans who are like in their early to mid twenties now who pure fucking hate us and Thistle fans vice versa pure fucking hate Morton. Man, that makes it great. So, like this game, Tiffany just like Tiffany's goal in that when it, I think Tiffany scored twice in this game, did he? Uh, he, he, he absolutely like goes round the entire Morton defence to score in this game. Oh, it was, oh, it was brilliant. Fight! Instead, he puts the cross in. Brian Graham header and goal for Thistle. Thistle back on level terms. 26 minutes played and it's that link up between Lawless and McMillan as it has been so often for Thistle this season. The cross into the middle and Brian Graham gets his goal. Here comes Cole's corner. Floated in again. Schwick coming for it. Doesn't get there. The header comes in and it's a goal. Kevin Hall just moments ago he was down injured. Didn't get any treatment. He was able to stay on the pitch. And he goes and scores from the resulting corner. Banigan runs over it. Turner floats it in. Hope gets his header on it. And then there's the finish. Aaron Newhead gets the goal. Thistle 3-1 to the good. Not even 10 minutes played in this second half. Great flick on from Kyle Turner's delivery by Kevin Holt. And then Muirhead just... Forcing it over the line for about six yards out. Thistle have their two-goal lead. Fight! 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 will go outside, driving towards the byline, looking for some way through. Pokes it through, bangs the net. What a goal from Scott <laughs> Tiffany. How he squeezed that one in, I do not know. But Thistle have their fourth goal, and Scott Tiffany, half-time substitute. What an impact he's had in the second half. He's off to a different threat in behind and he gets his goal to cap it off. Wow, <laughs> that is stunning.
then Thistle have bodies over, Turner on the right hand side, Tiffany driving forward, still going, out wide, Turner, Turner on his right foot, loose touch, but keeps it going, left foot shot, save, Dowds then scrambles it over the line, Thistle have a fifth. Yesterday was a weird one because I felt at times we didn't need to do a lot. I think it probably said a lot about Morton, particularly Tiffany's goal. Um, <laughs> you might have seen on, on my Twitter, um, we, we swapped ends. So we, were, we had the FIFA 96 angle for the first half, which was great. And then uh, I was with my, my middle child and we fancied going to the other goal line. So we were right in line with Scott Tiffany. And I mean, it's very, very skillful. The, the, the guy's an incredible talent, but he had no right to be scoring that. It was, um, I, I, I think I tweeted as a, a great combination of, of wonderful skill and terrible defending. So it was a weird one. So I'm not convinced it was like a complete performance. Delighted, you know, five goals, you're not going to complain. But I, I think we've played better this season. I, I thought Bannigan, he, he got the, the sponsors banning the match and he, he was he, he was excellent. But yeah, I, th- I think Lawless again was just absolutely wonderful. He's a joy to watch, even better than his first spell, I think. Maybe Tiffany's goal highlighted Morton's poor defending because he just quite easily got past two men, didn't really make much of an effort to challenge him and then easily ran in the box and scooped it in. But we were saying in the chat, I think Morton's biggest letdown was their goalkeeper. I thought he was atrocious, to be honest. Like Brian Graham's goal was a header straight at him. He's fumbled it in and then... I think for the fifth goal, it was a rebound that he spilled. And then even the second goal for the corner, he's come out, completely missed the ball. And then Oaks got an, um, an open goal, basically, to head it into. So, they weren't, Morton weren't great, but I still thought we played well enough for it to be classed as a good performance, regardless of Morton's bad defending. So, yeah, I was still happy with how we played. And I, I mean, Lawless was on the club Instagram yesterday and he was asked to name his three favourite players that he's played with. And he actually named Jack McMillan as one of them. And I think as much as Lawless is playing incredibly well right now, and I totally agree with what Vinny said, I think he's the, a better player than he was when he was first here. Vinny, I'll start our first listener question with you. Uh, Alan McMillan has asked... Does Anton Dowds have a clause with Barcelona that means he can't play more than 30 minutes or will have to pay them 50 million? Can you shed any light on that one? Um, I, I think it's the, the only reasonable explanation, to be honest. You know, Dowds is, is, um, is a, he's an enigma. I mean, I, I, I forget the fellow's name. I think it's Kieran, who um, does a wee bit of media and, and stats for the club puts together some brilliant um, previews you know, on, on the website and whatnot. He tweeted after the game, I asked about, that's got to be up there, the best goals to minutes record in, in Europe. And he replied, I'm sure it's a goal every 34 minutes, which is just absolutely ridiculous. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a pleasure to, to have someone coming off the bench like that. When he first came, I thought he would just be a long-term replacement for, for Brian Graham. But he offers so much more than that. I think his, you know, Brian Graham's obviously getting on a bit. He's nearly as old as me. Uh, Dowd's movement. He's just got a little burst of pace as well, which is uh, a horrible thing for defenders to have to deal with. People made a lot of it in, with the Scotland-Ukraine game at Hamden. You know, Lyndon Dykes came on and got all the plaudits for scoring the two goals. But Steve Clark and a lot of other people pointed out it was Shea Adams who ran the defenders ragged and we've kind of got that scenario at Thistle at the moment with Brian Graham 
He's just a horrible player to play against. He's moany, he's whingy, he's all elbows, gets stuck in. Um, so then when he goes off and then defenders have to then deal with Anton Dowds, it's, um, it's, it's, it's uh, a very, very uh, difficult proposition for them. So, yeah, long may it continue. I'm quite happy for him to come off the bench if he's going to continue scoring goals. In October, Thistle found themselves in the quarter-finals of the League Cup. With the Jags one game away from Hamden, David was breaking the emergency glass on his ultimate good luck charm. Uh, David, I'll start with you. We enjoyed, I was going to say we enjoyed, it was like your wedding anniversary last year, but I did enjoy it with you as we put six past Hamilton. Um, what are you expecting this weekend? So, as as we've said before, so it is the 15th of October, is the anniversary of the two greatest days in my life. First of all, obviously, I was beating Aki 6-1, and as well as that, meeting my wife. So, as we all know, last year, uh, my I convinced my wife uh, to come to the Hamilton game, her only ever Thistle game, and we beat them 6-1. She has a 100% record. She's never seen us lose. I was actually thinking about this. I don't know if she's ever seen a team I have been supporting lose either. So, I thought, wouldn't it be funny if my wife came again this year? So we are going full works, hospitality, free course dinner, all the drinks you can get, suited and booted. We are going on Saturday. Love is in the air, everywhere I look around. Love is in the air, every sight and every sound. It's Patrick towards the back post, your head to try to battle for it. Falls to Graham, and there's the open goal. No offside flag. Don't know if I'm being wise. If they ever look good any season, but this season it could be in big trouble. And as David mentioned, like we're in as good as form as we can be. No point, no point getting scales in your ass sitting on the fence. So I, we're going to, we're going to them. Doherty takes it short to Tiffany. Tiffany up against Martin. Cuts inside. Tries the shot, finds the corner! Oh, what a goal from Scott Tiffany! Compare my previous chat about um, the Hamilton game. My wife is also coming to the Aberdeen game, so get your Hamden tickets booked already. <laughs> Again, she's never seen the team I support lose, ever. Doddled in possession and now Dukes through on goal here. Big chance for number 11 on his left foot. Finds the finish. Aberdeen have the lead. This will give him the ball away in the middle of the park. Heather, who do you want at Hamden in the semi-finals? Morgan through 3-0. Who do you want in the semi? Plays it across low. Majowski touches it back to Coulson. His shot deflects. Holt then into his own net. And an unfortunate second goal. For... When the day is nearly done. If there's ever a time to play Aberdeen, and the time is now off the back of that humdinger of a result against Dundee United. Coulson away from Doherty, up against Hodgson now, onto his left foot, tries the low shot, deflects into the back of the net. This will find themselves three down within the first half here. So we're putting Kelly out in the, the semi, and then who's scoring the winner in the final? Tunjiakinola. Smith asking for a foul, but no foul given. It's going to come to Duncan on the left-hand side. Hurts to shoot, doesn't initially, then gets his right foot shot in. What a goal that is from Ryan Duncan. Makes it 4-1. Injuries to Ross Doherty and Kevin Holt. 
would send Thistle into a tailspin, losing seven of our next eight games, including a 4-0 defeat at home to Queen's Park. In all honesty, Saturday was mortifying. And I've got the utmost respect for Queen's Park as a club, good club and stuff, and, and playing really good football just now. But it's embarrassing losing to them twice in a season, and especially in the manner that we did at the weekend. Because, you know, obviously, it's, you, live in, you live in a city with Rangers and Celtic, and Thistle are always, categorically, the third team. But it's come to the point where, like, that's twice that Queen's Park have beat us. If they finish above us, then you start to think, at this moment in time, they're a better side than us. But... It wasn't good. A 4-2 loss at Somerset Park. Obviously, a lot was made about uh, Akinyemi, and, and we dealt with him fine, but we almost forgot that Logan Chalmers, very good winger at championship level, Josh Mullen, very good winger at championship level, and there was just an an over-importance on keeping Akinyemi quiet that was like... Just we were working to our own detriment, but we were unlucky. Another embarrassing own goal like that. That was probably the worst own goal that I've seen. I've seen obviously McMillan's early in the season, free cone goals, but that one last night, Akinyemi's five ten yards away from him, and he's made a diving header into the top corner. It was it's one of the ones where just you feel sick because at the time the defence had, had done pretty fine. Like we were chasing the game, we were always chasing the game last night, and. Obviously, that, that leaves you suspect at the back and ended up conceding a fourth, which, to be fair, I don't mind. Say if we're going for a game and we're trying to get a point, because we needed a point, a point would have kept us at the top, and you go and concede a fourth. Aye, it happens. A pathetic 3-0 defeat away to Rafe Rovers. Have you uh, watched the highlights, Matt? Uh, no. That, I, not. You haven't seen the Dowd moment, then? No, I'm in a purely asked questions uh, mode. Didn't need to watch the highlights. Oh, I was going to ask you how shit it was. You need to see the Dowd's moment, Matt. You I agree. Why we were so raging. Let me quickly refine these. Right, so these are eight minutes highlights, so I've got about three minutes in. Honestly, I, I don't usually lose uh, individual players, but I was so raging at Dowd's for that. Right, I've just seen the second goal. I think That's it was already. like... What, have you seen the second goal? Yeah, it's atrocious, yeah, isn't it? That's not good at all. Speaking of things that are not good. Wait, have you seen it or are you seen the second goals already? No, it's it. uh, I've uh, oh, je- oh. <laughs> At the Dowd's moment there. Mm-hmm. Fucking hell, yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. The real alarm bells for me on Saturday was... Obviously, our fan base are usually very, very good. They're loud for better or for worse um, at times. So, like, when we're away, like, for the last season and a half, they've basically since after COVID, our fans have been brilliant in terms of the singing, all that. Um, you know, they're, they're making noise, they're getting behind the team, they're supporting them, they're just generally brilliant most of the time. And, like, it's noticed by other teams about, you know, the support we bring and stuff like that. On Saturday... There was booze, right? And there's been booze. Dunfermline, the 4-1 game, Kilmarnock, when we were, I think we were 2-0 down or whatever. You, I remember I sat next to you at the Kilmarnock game and it was it was pretty uh, toxic at that point. But the second half, there was no noise. People couldn't be bothered. And that is really, really concerning to me that the fans had just, had just chucked it and were like, fuck this. You're not even going to bother booing. And people were leaving. It was pretty dead by the end. And that's, you know, entirely everything you're right. I, as you know, I, I don't ever leave early, but I understand why people do. And it's perfectly uh, perfectly fine to do that. And, you know, I'm not criticising people for doing that. But it was the sort of the swathes of people that had already left. The people who were still there couldn't be asked. 
there was a there was a boo at the end when the final whistle went, but that was about it. And that was really concerning. It's the first time I've heard us properly just not care, not be emotional what like whatsoever. The first half people were raging at the second half they weren't. And that was really concerning for me. And a collapse from two 0 up against Dundee at Forhill. I think seeing that we were fantastic in the first half would be difficult. I, I think we were definitely better than we were, obviously, against Queen's Park and some of the other games that we've played recently. We definitely made it harder for teams to break us down. I think it was a very bitty first half. I don't think a lot of things flowed. It certainly was better, but unfortunately, from the performances that we've been seeing over the last few weeks, what a better performance is still is about, I mean, barely pass marks, I would say. It was better, but um, I think it was, we really struggled to get any sort of creativity towards goal apart from the two goals that we scored. I think we were, I think we were just annoying and hard to break down in the first half and then completely decided to get rid of that in the second half and just opened, opened all our channels and said, here you go before a bruising 2-1 loss at Capolo. I mean, I, you know, Capolo, I'd been tasted to see the statistics for how, how well we've done over there over the past 20 years, because we've gone down there on good runs and lost. We've gone down there on terrible runs and lost. We've been, gone down there and been mediocre and got a draw and that kind of thing. It just, the, the, the ground seems to intimidate whatever players are involved. I mean, considering that we'd beaten them 5-1 at Far Hill, I would have expected them to be more up for it, more like a Doogie Emery team to be up for it. And I mean, obviously, I'm not happy with 2-1, but at no point did I feel we were going to get a total hammering, which would suggest, considering Morton's position in the league relative to ours, that we probably did better than than I would have expected. And I really did expect them to be kind of looking for revenge, considering the, the reverse fixture at Fair Hill. So, you know, I mean, the, the, the loss wasn't entirely une- unexpected, but I suppose the manner of it was marginally less depressing than, for instance, you know, the, the, the Wraith Rovers one. By the time the Jags entered the Scottish Cup, criticism of the board was at an all-time high forcing a protest on the canal for the visit of Kelty Hearts to Fulham in the third round. Can I say that this laugh, Kive, they posted the stat on Saturday that Saturday's attendance at Fur Hill of 1,484 was an all-time low for a, a party that's a Scottish Cup tie at Fur Hill. It was obviously a protest organised by a group of fans which was was well turned out. It gained media interest from the BBC. Um, Andrew Holloway of the the Jags Foundation was was interviewed as a, a fan um, who was protesting on Saturday, and as was Jerry Britton. That interview is available on the BBC website. David, you were part of that protest on Saturday. How was it from your point of view um, on the canal and before the game and in and around for how or out and around for how I should say. Um, it was an interesting one. I mean, the, the march around the stadium and stuff like that. I know, as, as you say, it was well attended. Um, you know, people were singing and stuff like that, and they they had their protest and 
Yeah, it was good to see some numbers because you kind of worry when you go to it that you're going to be the only dick there and it's going to be you and like two other people holding up a sign or whatever. But there was a lot of people there and it was a lot of people I know as well. And, you know, like I would say, if you want to watch a game, don't watch it in the canal. It's terrible. It's a terrible view. I saw nothing of the game at all. I had to rewatch the highlights today because I couldn't see anything. But the, the actual, like, being at the canal, everyone was... Uh, I think it's sort of painted in a sort of negative boo boys, you know, out to damage the club and you know, reputation and all that. Honestly, up on the canal, everyone was lovely. Everyone was having a good time. And everyone was just, you know, wet with their pals up in the canal. And we all wanted to be in the ground. But ultimately, I mean, you've seen it worked. I mean, there must have been, what, like 25, 30 people in the Lambie, which is mental. And it obviously just wasn't just them. There'll be people like, you know, uh, who just couldn't be bothered going. Um, to be honest, that, you know, kind of voted with our feet. I think I was kind of in two minds about it because I was like, oh, I'm an old man with, like, paper mache knees. I'd rather not stand for two hours in the canal. I'll go into the Jackie Husband afterwards. Because he said you could do that. If you want to show solidarity, just go into Jackie Husband. And then it was 20 quid. I was like, no, nah, you're all right, man. 20 pounds. I mean, I'm, I'm right saying we've reduced it down. I remember for like the Penny Cook game and stuff like that. Pretty sure we reduced the ticket prices down then. And I just think it's just totally un... And there's a lot of people, just as many as are up in the canal, who turned, who turned away because of the price. And I think that's a, a big thing we need to look at as well. And yeah, I thought it was a really good uh, protest. It was it was a, a very positive event. It might not look like it, but it was really, really positive. Everyone was lovely. Everyone put their stuff in uh, bin bags. There was no hassle. Every, all the cyclists and people going down the canal path are all, you know, nobody's given any hassle. Everybody's very polite and stuff like that. And yeah, they couldn't have acted any better. When you, when you see like today, about the uh, you know like the interview with like Jackie with Jackie Lowe about you know, kind of dismissing it as like a small number of people, it's not ne- not necessarily the case, and it just kind of makes you more annoyed that these things are just kind of being palmed off, and you know, good reason that they have the protests and stuff like that. Are you watching Jackie Lowe? Are you watching? Are you watching? Are you watching Jackie Lowe? I think you made some good points, David. I think as protest got was a really effective one. Obviously, there was, there was strength in numbers there. It was sort of a clear that the message was clear the the John Lambie stand, which I think also looked really effective. But also, as you say, taking up little bags, clearing the rubbish. I know a lot of fans who didn't go to the game donated their match ticket fee to to Jags for Good. So, all in all, I think it was a really positive protest. I should say. I want to talk to you a bit, David, about. Uh, the response from the PTFC Trust who tweeted on Friday that they were disappointed in the protest. Jackie Lowe has had an interview with James Kearney, which is in, in the paper today, Monday, uh, and available online in full. I want to read this Twitter thread from uh, Heather Holloway, who was on last week talking about the Jags Foundation, uh, a regular panellist on Draw, Lose or Draw. She has tweeted today, When misogynistic comments were made towards myself and my role as a Jags Foundation director, the Jags Foundation emailed Jerry Britton and Jackie Lowe and suggested a joint statement to try and discourage this negative, backward and disrespectful point of view being shared online and in person. The Jags Foundation were told that the club board were not aware of such abuse and that this was our own problem to deal with. The club I have supported all my life, not having my back, was personally very hurtful. Extremely disappointing that misogyny has now been used against us as a weapon. I've been corresponding with Her Game 2 since the PTFC Trust released their first statement with the six trustees. 
one of whom was completely inappropriate towards female fans. Her Game 2 have emailed the club, as have I, to move the inclusivity of female fans at Fur Hill forward. Misogynistic comments should not be happening, period. I have a lot of love for all of the amazing female fans in our support, but there is not just one narrative. David, what is your response to, to Heather's thread and the the messages that have come out from the PTFC Trust and Jackie Lowe this week? I, I mean, I appreciate we've got Portugal versus Uruguay at 7 o'clock, so I will keep this brief, but um, I could go on for hours about how fucking annoying it is. But um, essentially, in terms of the PTFC Trust statement, they are the, the fan group, you know, fan ownership, they're meant to represent the fans, but also they were upset at the fans for being upset. What what are you? What are you as an organisation? The the one thing you're meant to represent, you're upset at. What's the point? And there's no soul searching, no looking in the mirror, nothing like that. It's just, oh, it's a bit shocking. And the damage and the reputation of the club and the financial and stuff like that. No, and no point if they tried to engage and go, well, why are people doing this? It's obviously just rabble rousers. They, they don't believe it's a legitimate process. Okay, um, got to talk about the Scottish Cup over the weekend. Uh, no problem for you on the part, Ruffy, but uh, a few demonstrations off the part for the old Jags. Yes, they, they did. I think it was about 30 supporters or something like that. Uh, braved the conditions outside. Uh, I was interested where they took up their, their space, you know, to, to do the protest. Uh, when it got dark, nobody could see them. So yeah. that was a wee bonus. <laughs> Did the rain come on you were asking for? No, 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 no. I'm no. glad they never got wet. I'm yeah, glad they never the, got wet. There's a, there's, a, there's a board member who put a lot of <laughs> fun into to it. To be honest, uh, I was... Uh, you, you know, I always talk about how I don't really get annoyed at stuff to, to do with Thistle very much. I'm very chill and stuff like that. I was genuinely fucking pissed off reading that interview today when they were talking about how a lot of the criticism to, towards them was misogynistic. I, I like to think myself as a... a a decent person who most certainly is not misogynistic and to have any sort of opinion that I have been painted as misogynistic is frankly antagonising and I don't like it but they absolutely are just there was so many things in that interview that are so incredibly tone deaf and I know we have kept a lid on it we don't talk about it too much on here and um, you know for various reasons and stuff like that partly because people can't be asked listening to it all the time but yeah um <laughs> um I put it this way, um, I'll see you up the canal on Saturday if this is the way it's going to keep going. Um, I'll see you all up there because, oh my God. There's the other butterfly effect. What if we lost? What if we lost to Kelty? We didn't get the Rangers game. Exactly. I- exactly. Um, what if we'd wilted because there wasn't a count like, we, we could have lost it. We could have lost to Kelty. Obviously, we got Dunfermline in the round after. Like, but like, what I'm saying is, usually just, we could have lost that game. Because we were, we were, that was our first win in about seven games. We were dog shit at the time. Kelty finished like eighth in League One, but like they had a lot of, they had a lot of like decent players, like guys we know, guys like Higgy, guy like Joe Cardell, Tam Aware, guys that have been in and around us. Like they would have been rubbing their hands, playing us with the state we were in at the time. Like we could very easily have lost that game. Then you talk about like we talk about how much the Rangers game saved it or like prevented it from being much worse. Like that's what I'm saying. Like could have lost that game and it could it could could be much worse. December saw Thistle travel to Cove with the club at its lowest ebb. A horrendous game saw Thistle trail 1-0 going into injury time. 
and their goalkeeper Jamie Sneddon stepped up to give everyone in attendance a moment that they yeah, will never Barrigan forget. Yeah, been sent across to take the corner kick and Jamie Sneddon, as you say, up. What a story. <laughs> the man of the match, can he add to it here? Barrigan to take. Swings it in. Towards Sneddon, he gets it! Oh, 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 oh my god! With the header! Oh my goodness! What a goal from Jamie Sneddon! Barrigan lands it right on his head! And Jamie Sneddon with the flicked header into the corner! And Thistle have the latest of late equalisers! And Jamie Sneddon is the scorer! Unbelievable! I'd said he was man of the match, and well, I said I want to make sure I said it before <laughs> before he went up for that corner and scored. My word, I've seen it all now. Wow, wow, Jamie Sneddon. David, if it's okay with you, I'm going to read you a message that you sent me at 12:33 on Saturday. You said, "Got a normal supporters bus, but picked the one that didn't stop at Stonehaven. Distraught. Cove is fucking grim, by the way." Did you have a good Saturday afternoon pre-match? <laughs> no, um, no, no. Um, so, yeah, it's, Cove is definitely the the the, the sort of the relegation battle of the forty-two of enjoyable away days. It's in the middle of nowhere. It's not in Aberdeen. It's not in Stonehaven. And it's not like we couldn't have stopped off at Stonehaven. I literally got on the bus and it was there f- about five, ten past ten. We were literally just driving out of Glasgow and I was buzzing, ready for my first supper at Stonehaven. For those who don't know, there are two chippies in Stonehaven. There's the bay, which was once rated in the top 20 places to eat in the world, full stop. Not fish and chips, not scallops. Top 20 places to eat in the world. And they're right, it is incredible. It is unbelievable. They also have the other chippy down the road, which won like the World Cup of Fish and Chips in 2020. People, long-time listeners of the podcast, will know I am an absolute bastard for a fish supper. And I had fully like got myself into the zone that I was getting a, I was getting a fish supper and I was getting like a proper top tier of fish supper and had to end up with a Burger King, which is still good, but you know, le- you know, there's levels. We got to the ground two and a half hours before kickoff. I, I, I have no idea why. So we could have definitely stopped off for an hour in Stonehaven and got there with plenty of time to spare. Alas, not. There's fuck all there. There's a post office depot. There's an IKEA and a Burger King. The place is just grim. The next, the nearest pub outside of the social club is a mile and a half away um, you can't even go and people ask me they wanted to buy a bottle of wine for the from Mambrit's bus on the way back home there's nowhere to buy it unless you go to Macro and buy 48 fucking bottles of the stuff you're, you're not getting any drink or anything like that there the ground is it's, it's just really cold and soulless and it just goes to show what the, the sort of nonsense you have to endure to get the diamonds in the rough you can't just turn up to the big games and have these moments you need to go to the frankly fucking awful away day at Cove and not have your fish supper and you know just sit in the freezing fucking cold getting nearly gassed out by smoke bombs because someone thought it was a good idea to fucking do it in the 
in the wee tiny tin shed stand that they had while everyone was singing 12 Days of Archie. They, they, literally, un- until the, the Snedden goal, the 12 Days of Archie was the only redeeming feature. Um, the fans are well up for it. We just did not give a performance that matched that, to be honest. So no, um, no, I wasn't having a great day before the game and to be honest, during the game. But as I mentioned, we could have played another two weeks and we wouldn't have scored a normal goal, as you would say. And it was always going to be a case of just an absolute freak thing that happened to get us back in the game. And of course, Snedden, who'd kept us in the, the game all afternoon, pops up with that goal. That it's, just, it's, it's actually hilarious because I've been going to football every week now for 15, 16 years and you never. It's one of the things you just write off. You say, "I'll never see that happen." Like you, that's a one in a million thing. You don't even see that happen on telly. It ha- it's once in a blue moon, and you can't believe it. And you're laughing about it for days, and it's on every sort of sports sports football page in the world. They're posting it and that. So far, the Partick Thistle goalie to score. It's just mental because I I, I wasn't even watching the box. I, I was kind of I was in the process of leaving the ground, so I was next to the corner flag at the time. And I was watching, it was it looked like Weston was going to take it, then Bannigan ran over. So I was just watching Bannigan. I just, I, I see him hit the ball and I turned around and I go, fuck, Snedden's up for us. And it just it aims right for his head. And you just, it's one of the things he's like, yeah, he's not even going to head this. But it was a, a, a belter of a header that any centre half would be proud of. And when that happens, like, you just can't control yourself. I was on the park, you can't even know going to park for that. On the park for a point at Cove Rangers, the standards are slipping. But, it's just one of the ones. It doesn't matter if it's Blythe Spartans or it doesn't matter if you're playing away to Barca at the new camp. Whoever it is, if you score a last-minute equaliser, last-minute winner, the excitement takes over. And when it's a keeper, it's just times a thousand. So it's one of the ones you just... I'm so happy that I was there to see that because it's one that will live long, long in the memory. But that being said, an absolute brutal performance. Yeah, like, it does take a freak moment, though, you said. like Something like Snedden scoring. I mean... It is such an enjoyable moment and it almost come away from that feeling like you've won just because, I mean, obviously we've not and it doesn't cover up that we were absolutely terrible all day, but just the kind of elation of this night fifth minute and your goalkeeper has just scored a head on. It's the first festival keeper to score in 101 years and the only festival keeper to score that from not a penalty. And I'd love to know why a festival keeper took a penalty, like a regular penalty in 1921. I'd love to know why that was. But anyway, yeah, it's just such a moment and yeah. On the park as well, and people say it's Tim Pogba on the park for a draw with Cove, but oh, come on, it's your, it's your goalkeeper scoring in the last minute. And when does that ever happen? And it's probably never going to happen again. So, <laughs> Do you know something, right? See, but when we were watching the game just before a couple of minutes before the end, I was sitting there thinking about the podcast we were going to have, and I am so eternally glad that this is the podcast that we're doing, because the one I had in my head was a far more miserable, morose podcast about how much of a fucking dump Cove was and how bad we were. So, so incredibly glad that this is um, what we're doing now. Buzzing. In terms of the moment itself, it's it's the juxtaposition. It is literally, before that corner happens... I had fully accepted that McCall was gone and I was watching the last 90 seconds of the McCall era. Absolutely, I was I was waiting on no Jagsaw interview, everyone on the bus speculating why, and then at half seven, an announcement from the club that Ian McCall has been sacked. That I was fully checked out and did not expect him to last. I was fully 
he he has to go. He will go. There's no redeeming here. He is absolutely fucked. We are throwing four men up front. Snedden's going up for the goal. He is absolutely flailing for ideas here and it's not going to work. So I had fully made peace with it that he was gone and that was it. And we were just going to have this awful, awful day and that is it. So when, when Snedden goes up and you're like... So I, I said to Jamie, obviously I never pitch invaded before. I need a proper moment. And then I was with Connor, our friend Connor, um, and I said to him, if Snedden scores us, I'm on the pitch. Like, literally, verbatim, just before the corner was taken. And then when it goes in, you're like, well, you kind of need to. So to have made my piece and accepted, it's done. McCall ball is done. We are done. The title's over. All of that. To then have that incredible moment. It, it was, it's just the sheer extremes. It's going from total acceptance that you're fucked to everything ch- swiveling and changing. It's it, it honestly will, will last with me until the day I die. I will be recanting this to whoever will fucking listen in the Woody when I am 95 years old or whatever about it. It's, it's literally, I've never been on a, a, a juddering roller coaster like that of just. You're here, now you're here, within about five seconds. With relations between the board and the fans souring even more, the club was at breaking point. On the 7th of December 2022, Chairman Jackie Lowe and all but one of the other directors resigned, citing the increasingly destructive behaviour of the fans as their reason. It's absolutely wild the fact that last time we spoke to you, what we were talking about and the different things and what we were saying and just how much has changed in the last few days, weeks. Um, And, you know, firstly, it's just a massive thank you to all our members and for, I mean, and non-members too, people who've just been so open and honest and talking to us as foundation people and being very supportive. It's been quite a, it's been quite a tough year. And if I'm really honest with it all and, um, and just the, the night that we had or the day that we had uh, last Saturday with people from the Jags Foundation and other Thistle fans was absolutely fantastic. And it was just so nice to be so positive around Thistle fans again. And um, long may that continue. Uh, there you have it. Uh, resignations on the board. You're on the board, Ruffy. It's a sad day. You've resigned. Um, first of all, give us your immediate feeling on it. Yeah, well, obviously I'm disappointed, you know, Patrick Thistle have been a large part of my life and my footballing career and uh, for this to happen and stepping away is a sore one, you know, but I think in the last month uh, things haven't gone particularly well, particularly when the shares have been handed over. It was, I'm sure Colin Weir would be disappointed as well. He handed over the shares for the, the club to be owned by the supporters and run by the board. Uh, that has changed in the last two or three weeks whatever for whatever reason and I just feel that... Uh, uncomfortable with what things have been happening behind the scenes. I expected it to drag out. I really did. I remember saying to a couple of people that I'd already I had I was I had something on that weekend of the Kelty game, so I couldn't I couldn't go. But I had already said, look, if you want me up the canal bank for the next home game, I'm there. Like I'm I was anticipating uh, I was like I was ready to just go full blown this is war. Like this is civil war. This is 
Like, I was fully anticipating, like, obviously extreme example, I was fully anticipating, like, the full AFC Partick Thistle. Or, you, look at, like, you look at what happened with Berry, for example, right? That's pretty much what I was anticipating. It's like, I had, I had the absolute fear that it was going to, like, rumble on and it was going to, the, the, the gaps, the chasms were just going to be too wide. Yeah, I, I mean, there was a decision eventually after taking the club and steering it through COVID. There was a, a feeling from Jackie Lowe that there was there was a period of time where basically Patrick Thistle had to assess what was best in Colin Weir's wishes and what he wanted for the club uh, and to look at a preferred bidder. Um, the Jags Foundation thought they were in the box seat. Uh, the Patrick Thistle Trust eventually got the vote. And suddenly there seems to be a bit of collusion between the two of them. Do you feel as if you've been backstabbed by the trust? Well, I think they could have been a lot more up front, you know, in, in their way ahead. You know, they sort of dilly-dallied a wee bit, you know, and coming forward and letting us know the direction that they're going. Uh, I do believe they have been having meetings with the foundation. Uh, I don't know how that will... Uh, what the outcome of that will be, but it looked as if from the outside looking in that it was going to be uh, a club owned by the supporters and run by the supporters, was the, which wasn't Colin Weir's wish. It didn't need to happen the way it happened, and I'm just glad that the club's still here, thanks to perseverance, really, of some very, very talented people. I'm glad that I can call friends, especially, I should say, our female support, because it could have got very, very nasty with some of the wording that was thrown around regarding the criticism. It could have been perceived in a particular way but the female support helped to make it abundantly clear that, that, that the language that was being used was certainly not the case. I'm not a misogynist I, I certainly fucking hope not that's the thing I find sad is you're going down, you're, 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 you're going for a low blow right? something that is a very important very very prevalent corporate societal issue misogyny and the workplace and gender equality and all the rest of that. Like, that's not it at all. I'm just glad that that mudslinging didn't eh, take any effect. The narrative that was coming out um, was the wrong one and it was misleading people, Ruffy. Mm. I was disappointed in the last uh, two or three weeks, obviously, we come under a wee bit of stick with stuff we did on the show. And I've said right at the beginning, we have said on the show, I don't, I don't, I don't, object to supporters protesting. I think everybody's got a right to protest, but there's a way to protest. And I was just at the games, I was turning up, wanting to support the team, wanting to be there, wanting to see the team doing well. But a small minority, and I repeat that, a small minority through the game, using foul and abusive language, directed at Jackie Lowe, was wrong for me and that, that was the worst thing for me. I just couldn't get my head around that. Somebody who was doing particularly well for the club and uh, this small segment of fans, you know, we're a family-run club, and to be doing things at a game instead of supporting the team, you know, was wrong for me. Yeah, and that small group that you're talking about, not exactly an older group of people. This is all youngsters. Yeah, it is youngsters, but there's probably other uh, members in there as well, you know, and as I said again, I've been repeating, they have every right, you know, to protest. You know, I I just wished that they, they really had the right object that they were protesting against you know I would love to ask them 
you know, what was the main beef they had with Jackie Lowe. Uh, from where I keep saying it, from where I was, you know, Jackie Lowe was 100% doing the best for Patrick Thistle Football Club. Yeah. The, the protest was a huge, huge thing because it showed, and not only the people who, who went to the protest, but the, the people who, I mean, people like yourself and other people who didn't necessarily go to the game or didn't, um, you know, they, they still, you know, they sat in the jackie instead of the Lambie or whatever. And because, um, I mean, that Lambie stand was dead. I genuinely yes. think there was more people in the stands at the Falkirk game than there was in the Lambie, the 5-0 Falkirk game. I, yeah. I honestly think, because there was about 20 people in there. And if you take into account all your media people, your sort of, you know, club officials, subs, yeah. all that and stuff, no one was allowed in and there was more people there than that stand. And, like, what I always wonder about what would have happened if, you know, the the Jags, you know, you know what the Jags Facebook group is like of people arguing all mm-hmm. the time. It's constant argument. There's nothing to say that uh, you know a bunch of people could have just been another. Oh, you know, rabble rousers talking shite. I'm going to the game. I'm going to Lambie. And then what had happened if people had just not done it and people had just went to the Lambie? It's it's quite mad. Well, I'm going to read something out here, Nick. It's an in- indicative of what I think. I mean, it's difficult for us because. People accuse of being biased because um, Ruffy and I have worked together for a long time. But uh, Ross Calder says, Good riddance, Ruffy, a club legend whose legacy has been tarnished forever. We will never forget or forgive you for propping up Jackie Lowe, the worst chairman in our club's history. Now, that's an, that's an indication of somebody who, for me, is completely and utterly clueless about the whole situation. Um, and an indication of some of the flack that they've taken over the past few weeks. I mean... The point you made the other night there, um, I think, has been taken out of context. Uh, I think we made a joke about yeah. people who were protesting pitch black across an area that nobody could see them. Um, and obviously some people were miffed about it. Yeah, yeah first and foremost, that, that was obviously taken out of context. We, were, we spoke about it for two or three minutes and whoever it was on the internet, you know, chopped a 40 second clip. Or Ruffy's, you know, saying something about the supporters protesting, and that wasn't the that wasn't the conversation we had. I'm sure just after that that clip, he said that everybody had the right to protest. So I'm disappointed for Ruffy. I know how, how much party this all means to him. You know, he's he's played there for a long time, and people won't know this. I've never met Jackie Lowe in my life, and I I put a thing out on Twitter about a year ago about Loves and Fishies in Edinburgh, uh, Ace Bride, sorry, who are a, a charity, and they, I just took a thing out on Twitter, and she got in touch with me privately. And uh, she did, she made a large donation to Loves and Fishies. I've never met her before, and she was the only person that reached out to me to, to put money into that into that charity. So for me, I think she's a good person. I think she's taken a lot of undeserved flack at Partick Thistle, and uh, I hope now she can go on with her life because obviously she's turning up the games, trying to do her job, and she's getting abuse off the supporters. So for her, I think it's uh, she can go and relax at the weekend now and, and enjoy the rest of her life. It was you know such a shock on the Wednesday when it all came out. I mean, to put it in perspective, I was speaking to a Clyde Bank fan on the day of the Argentina-Poland game. Shows you, it wasn't that long ago, what, about two or three weeks ago? I think it was Wednesday before Cove. I was talking to a Clyde Bank fan. Obviously, Clyde Bank went for their own ownership troubles for a while, and they are a fan-owned club, and he is one of the sort of board members at Clyde Bank. He's, you know, quite well-connected and high up within the infrastructure in Clyde Bank just talking about how it's going with Fissel and I was very doom and gloom and talking about how it just didn't feel that there was going to be any movement whatsoever 
and you know we were going to be stuck with this and we didn't know what the next moves are going to be and literally in the, the two or three weeks since I've seen him this has all happened and it's yeah everybody was obviously really delighted yeah if it's the worst run club in the world Ruffy it's got no debt um, and you know there is an academy in place uh, there is a club that although was not happy with the way it was treated by the league and being demoted, there is a club that has <coughs> aspirations to go back up and they're not in, in any critical need of anyone else's help. No, the bottom line was at the beginning of the season, the, the manager came to the, the board and asked for extra funds to strengthen the team. We went out of our way to push out the boat, you know, and give them a wee bit more than what we usually do. You know, and, and financially, these are decisions you have to make, you know. But at the end of the day, any decisions that any of us made were for the best interests of the club. Well, it's uh, undoubtedly going to rumble on. Um, and now the onus will be on, uh, a, a, you know, a meeting of the Jags Trust and the Jags Foundation to take the club forward. Um, I must admit, I think the treatment of Jackie and yourself, particularly yourself, in some of the Ferrari that followed the programme the other day there was bang out of order. But um, when people have an agenda and they want to try and gain power, uh, they'll go out of their way to pick on any point they can um, to try and push their own agenda forward. We wish them well. With Jamie Snedden saving our blushes and Nicole's bacon at Cove, and the board now gone, Thistle would go undefeated in December, defeating Air 3-2 at Hill before rounding out the year with a sensational 5-1 win under the lights at Hill again against Inverness. It's right up there. Uh, we've had a few good performances, but I, all in all, I don't think I can bring off too many better than that because, uh, as we mentioned, like see when you get like five goals and it's five different goal scorers, um, and as we mentioned, in Fitzpatrick getting man the match despite not scoring a goal, that just highlights how good his performance was, and like the whole, the whole, the team was so good in general. It was a, it was a poor goal to concede. We didn't really deserve to concede the goal, um, but in terms of our attacking play, that could easily have been eight, nine, and that's no exaggeration. We really were that good, and and guys like Danny Mullen chipping in, we gave a run out to a few of the younger boys. It was a, it was a really great day. And I just want to mention about the crowd in the north stand. Um, I, I don't know if, if you could, it was the same from the Jackie Osmond or whatnot, but the atmosphere the other night was brilliant. I know there was like a couple of younger guys in there with a drum and stuff. Like, and I know a drum can kind of be frowned upon, even from like the guys that I go to the game with, sort of the younger generation, so to speak. We don't, we're not too keen on a drum ourselves, but I thought it was um, a really good atmosphere and all round a, a great night for how. I agree with you, Reese. I sit at the other end of the, the Jackie Husband and the, the John Lambie did look and sound a lot livelier than usual. I don't think the I think the drum becomes a problem when all you can hear is the drum, but on on Friday night you could only really hear the singing, you could only hear the drum on its own for, for tiny little bits. It was mostly the singing you could hear and the drum was obviously orchestrating that. So I didn't have a problem with the drum on Friday. I thought it was it was a really good atmosphere at for how yeah, I agree with you. It was meant to be on Christmas Eve, but they moved it back to the Friday night because we are not allowed to play Inverness on a Saturday anymore. That Cali game, one of the best games I've seen us in a long time. I think it was probably our best game, other than the game at Ibrox that we lost under McCall. I thought we were utterly terrific in this game. I think it was 5-1 going on about 7 or 8. Like Harry Milne, I still think about that Harry Milne assist. 
I was just like, if Harry, I remember saying, I think, I don't know if it was you or whether it was someone else at the game, is like, if Harry Milne uh, keeps up what he's doing, like, he'll be gone next week. He won't be going like, at the end of the season. Because like, everybody was talking about Harry Milne attracting interest from Hearts at the time. He was like, he'll be away next week, never mind the summer. Just being with your, the guys that you're pals with every week, and it's just it's such, such a family club that every game, whether it be home or away, but away days are a wee bit more special, but... It's just such a such a great feeling seeing everyone that you know and just watching the football. It doesn't always go away, but it's been brilliant all year. And be, let's be honest, the football in the park, there's been a few blips here and there, for, but for the most part, it has been a good year. And long may that continue. Thank you for listening to the first part of the Draw, Lose or Draw Annual. On this episode, you had contributions from Vinnie Ferguson, David Forrest, Matt Greer, Rhys Haldane, Heather Holloway, Rhys Jenkins and Jamie McDonald. Next time, we will look at the second half of the regular season. And in the meantime, stay safe and buy a season ticket.